0: Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that
1: none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today,
0: we want to talk about our relationship with food. Have you ever examined your relationship with food? Food is a really important part of our culture and there is a huge variety of food worldwide. And the way that we feel about food is different for all of us. So today we want to explore our relationship with food If you have a strange relationship with food or maybe even an unhealthy relationship with food, then you're not alone.
1: So while we're going to be talking about a lot of different relationships or mentalities we can have around food, we did want to point out that we're not specifically talking about the relationship surrounding diet culture or eating for weight loss. We're also not really talking about some serious disordered eating behaviors, which if you feel that might pertain to you, We strongly recommend you speak with a specialist for eating disorders as that's something very specific and we're talking more general here, more something that you may have experienced if eating gives you pain or triggers a flare in you, for instance. These kinds of struggles around food or emotional responses are things that Amy and I have dealt with personally, so we're going to talk more about how we experience food and how our relationships with food have evolved over time. Having said that, though, we do want to advise that today's episode will be talking about the fear around food, the reluctance to eat, and being obsessive and controlling with food. Additionally, we want to remind you, as always, that we are not mental health professionals or any kind of medical professionals. We're just two people talking about the struggles that we face with eating and our illness.
0: All right, Brittany, why are we looking at our relationship with food? Cause I'll be honest, I really, really don't wanna analyze my relationship with food because I kinda have a really unhealthy, weird, uncomfortable relationship with food that I don't really wanna examine. I'm better just like being in the dark and like not thinking about what my relationship with food is because I it's just like seafood and then I'm like, Oh, I'm eat. And I'm like, I don't wanna eat you and then I'm like, but I'm starving and I'm so hungry and then I start crying and then I eat it, and then I'm in pain, and then I feel anxiety and then I feel guilt about it. And it's just, it's really complicated. And I'm in the bathroom and I'm thinking about how the cycle is going to repeat itself again. And I'm like, oh my God, I just, now I'm empty and now I'm hungry
1: and now I have to eat more. don't <laughs> want you see what happens when I talk about food and it's just, I don't want to do it. Really okay, okay, decide. okay. Please, why do we have to come? Okay. Why am I going to look at it to? I need... Because of that, that's why we're going to look at it. That was a lot that you just unloaded there. Well,
0: at least I didn't unload anything in
1: the toilet this time. Well, you probably will in about 20 minutes. Okay. <laughs> but... Eating is something we do a lot. So I mean, three or more times a day if you have snacks. So who on earth would torture themselves by eating snacks? I know those 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 lucky people. I do not understand. <laughs> what
0: is a snack? I don't understand the concept of a snack.
1: A snack for me is just it's a meal time. But eating for fun? everything is so crampy. So I just have a small amount. That's a snack, right? <laughs> But we eat three times a day or more, and so it's good to examine how we approach eating because for a lot of us, eating can trigger things like endo-flares, and thinking about having to eat can cause us to have a fear reaction, like you just did.
0: (laughs) No, I didn't, Brittany. I didn't have a fear reaction. I'm not afraid of something that keeps
1: me alive.
0: I think you might be a little bit.
1: (laughs) Okay, a little bit. And that's understandable, and that's why we're going to examine it. A lot of poo and a lot of (laughs) fear. (laughs) As you've
0: heard my breakdown around the idea of eating, yes, today we are going to talk about being afraid of food or having food be a burden to us. But we're also going to talk about the converse, which is when food is a pleasure. Today's episode is going to be about the fear and the pressure that we might feel around eating. And the next episode is going to be about comfort, food, and eating to soothe our feelings. I think for some of us, food can be a subconscious replacement for smoking or for sex. Replace my sex with anything. Like, (laughs) that's fine. (laughs) The stabbing can leave. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, please just replace my sex with something. Please. (laughs) Food can satisfy cravings and banish hunger. So they tell me. So we've heard.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So the rumor has it there's an urban legend that states that are cravings and you can satisfy them with the food you're craving. Most of the time when I have cravings, I'm like, what is that that you're craving? Because I've never had it before. And also cannot give you that. Get over it. (laughs) How does it feel to satisfy a craving? So when you have a
0: craving of something that you know will make you really sick, from an endometriosis flare, but then you don't actually eat the food because you know it'll make you really sick. So you don't want to do that to yourself. So you never satisfy the cravings. It's so just the an can just... scratch
1: forever and ever Soon and
0: ever. Do you just like buy the food and sniff it? Or <laughs> the pizza runs up to you. it's like, eat
1: me. You're like, <laughs> yes. No. No, I don't, don't want to be on the toilet for 12 hours. <laughs> but okay,
0: just a little bit in my mouth. No, 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 don't do I'll it. It'll only be one hour
1: instead of 12 if it's just one bite. <laughs> Food, oh, I
0: should write a poem about food. Here we go. Oh, a haiku to food. (laughs) Food, the highlights of our holidays with its signature turkeys and diarrhea, hams and nausea, gravies and brain fog, stuffing pies, cakes, and a long list of symptoms, I mean delights, (laughs) that make our mouths water and our anuses water.
1: In anticipation and after the fact. Post-patient. Constipation. <laughs> the opposite of constipation. Ugh.
0: The anticipation and the constipation. Food unites us socially. Families eat dinner together. Or at least they did back in the good old days. <laughs> in the summers, we enjoy picnics and barbecues. Vegan barbecues. Thank you. You're welcome. Friends meet in bars and restaurants, people stuffing their faces all the time, everywhere you go. Put the food in my mouth, put the food in my
1: mouth. (laughs) I want to put the food in my mouth.
0: (laughs) So, today we're going to talk about both sides of food. So, like how in our relationship with food, we can turn to food for comfort and pleasure and emotional eating. And we're also going to talk about how food can, for some of us, be a source of anxiety and a source of fear, and it can be a burden to us so we're gonna do both sides but right now first we're gonna talk about the side Brittany and i find ourselves on more because we do find ourselves on both sides like mm-hmm. Brittany and i do eat to soothe our emotions but we're also
1: scared <laughs> of food some of, of the, the emotions time. are our fear <laughs> <laughs> i'm really really scared of this
0: food but if i eat it it might it might might feel of, better it might soothe my feelings <laughs> Brittany. Let's open the oven door marked fear and crawl in like Hansel and Gretel.
1: Is there a scare pie inside? (laughs) Uh. I don't want to (laughs) go.
0: Let me ask you a question, Brittany. Would you rather win the lottery or
1: never have to eat again? Never have to eat again, hands down. If I could never have to eat again but could choose to eat if I wanted to, then I would choose that. Because sometimes I feel like I'm hungry. But I have fear about eating, but I have to eat. And if I ever had to eat again, it would be so much easier. And I could just eat when I chose to instead of when my body told me I needed to. And you should listen to your body. But sometimes it doesn't know what, what my mind wants, which is to crawl in a hole and run from all the food. <laughs> so your mind and your body are not in alignment. No, they're not. Okay. Neither are mine. <laughs>
0: For me, I realized a long time ago, back when I was in my teens, that food plays a huge role in triggering my endo flares. And when I realized that, I began to restrict what I ate. And I don't think that this is a bad thing. Like, I don't think it's bad if something makes you sick, like gluten makes me sick and sugar makes me sick. I don't think that is a bad thing to cut that food out as long as i'm eating a variety of nutrient dense food and getting all the proteins amino acids fats and nutrients that i need for me cutting out the foods that made me sick at the beginning it made me feel empowered and it still makes me feel empowered to say no to the things that i know will cause me an end of flare but i think somewhere along the lines it turned in my case into a kind of phobia of food, a kind of obsession with food, my diet became more and more restrictive as I realized that more and more and more things made me sick. Everything made me sick. And so the scope of what I was eating became narrower and narrower, and I became more and more obsessed with controlling the food that I put in my body because it was a way that I was trying to control my endoflares and a way that I was trying to control a body that was really out of control with how I felt, so I understand that what I'm saying sounds quite intense, and I do think that in the past, I probably was struggling with a disordered thinking pattern around eating because I came to a point where I got so much anxiety around eating because I felt like everything made me sick, and because most things did make me sick, and I had this idea. Everything made me sick, then I didn't want to put anything in my body because I was so afraid of getting sick. And then most times I did get really sick when I ate. And knowing that I was going to have an endoflare and endosymptoms when I was eating something caused me to have a lot of anxiety and a fear response in anticipation to the pain that I knew I was probably going to have when I ate this meal. And so it just became this really like food became this source of real severe anxiety for me. And then it was something that I had to do to nourish myself, to stay alive, to function, to keep my weight up, to not be dizzy, to have the energy to go about my daily activities. Like it is so important to eat and I wanted to eat so badly. But at the same time, I didn't want to eat because I was scared of the effects that food would have with my endometriosis. So I know that Brittany said we're not, talking about disordered eating patterns in this episode, and that's really not what this episode is aiming to be about. It's just about looking at our relationship with food. So I realize that talking now, you may be listening and thinking, hmm, like that does sound like disordered eating. And if you're identifying with that, it could be a good idea to reach out to a specialist in disordered eating I realized that when I was younger, like in my 20s, I was doing so many things alone. Like I had no one to talk to about the way that I felt around food and the absolute terror that I felt when a meal was in front of me. The people around me, I mean, God, people love eating, right? Like people love eating and they're sitting and they're looking at their food and they're like practically drooling and they're like, oh, this looks so scrumptious and delicious. And they're like eating as fast as they can because they can't get enough of it and they want seconds. And I was just remember looking at my plate and like being really hungry, but like wanting to cry and like being so scared because if I knew that I ate, I would get joint pain and I would get cramps and I would get diarrhea and I would get fatigue and I might even just like fall asleep right after I ate because of the effect the food had on my fatigue. And I just remember being in my 20s, like being so desperately alone a lot of the times because I had no one who knew what I was going through and I had no one to talk to. And I really wish that I had reached out to a mental health professional when I was in my 20s to help me through so many of these thought patterns that I had, but I didn't know that that was available to me at the time. And I think now it's more openly talked about like, oh, you know, seeing a mental health professional or talking to a therapist or a counselor. I feel like maybe 10, 15 years ago when I was in my 20s, these resources I don't think we're as available. They weren't as talked about. I mean, Instagram didn't even exist. Back then, like all these different platforms (laughs) where people are talking about these kind of things, they they weren't there. And so I really wasn't aware that I could reach out to someone. And so if you're thinking that maybe you want to reach out to someone, I really encourage you to do so. Don't be scared. Sometimes speaking with a professional can help us see things from a perspective that we cannot see on our own.
1: So as you were talking about the fear reaction that you had in your 20s, I was thinking about what recently happened to you last year with the histamine issues you were having. (sighs) I know, I've got to bring them up. (laughs) But when you were experiencing the peak of your histamine reaction, everything you ate was giving you a really full body effect. Racing heart, inability to breathe, hives, swelling, pain, flares, really scary things were happening as a result of everything that you ate. Migraines, insomnia. The list goes on. (laughs) (laughs) But what you described there for your
0: twenties, I And also sorry to interrupt you, but like also instantly, like with the histamine, it's like you eat something and within Immediately. Ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Your if the throat was going to close, it'd be closing, or I'd already have hives within ten minutes, or my heart would already be racing. You don't even like, have right time after after to think was, about it. <laughs> yeah, it was. It just was so.
1: The reactions were so intense, and they were so quick after I ate. And it's really scary those types of reactions that are a part of the anaphylactic system. Oh, they're very scary. What
0: you would call no.
1: Thinking that you might stop breathing, that's not scary. It's not scary at all. Anaphylactic shock isn't called shock for nothing. No, (laughs) Having almost gone into anaphylactic shock, I can say that it's horrifying and terrifying. So I can understand how you may have had a same reaction to those triggers from eating as you did in your 20s, but you didn't. So when I watched you experience this histamine struggle, at first you were trying to navigate figuring out what was happening. And there was a little bit of fear around what's going to trigger my throat closing and what's not, but it wasn't to the extreme level of what you experienced and how you reacted in your 20s. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what changed and what what got you to not think the same way that you did in your 20s. So I want to know how you got to not being afraid before the histamine even happened. All
0: right. So what you're asking me is how did I lose my fear reaction to food? Yes. Okay. Well, inside of your brain, there's something, there's a part called the amygdala, and that is responsible for your fear response.
1: So what I did was I chopped that out. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of (laughs) sense. So you just had a little bit of surgery. Yeah. Took out your amygdala.
0: (laughs) I chopped out anything that would cause fear. So now (laughs) when I watch scary movies, people are
1: screaming around me. I'm like, I feel nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you? That's not scary at all. Like, (laughs) That's humorous. That sounds like that's not a good <laughs> idea. We're not going to chop out our amygdalas because that also keeps you safe when you're in a dangerous situation. <laughs> you see a tiger charging at you. You're like, he do not have tiger, an amygdala. Tiger tiger. Doesn't scare me. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> okay, so since you did not cut out your amygdala, what did you actually do? So I think it, when in my 20s, I got to the
0: worst part where I had a really hard time eating and the food would be in front of me and I would be hungry and I'd be looking at my food and I would feel, one, repulsed by the food because I feel like when you know that something's going to make you sick, no matter how appetizing and delicious it actually is, you can just develop this response that it's like gross and disgusting. It's aversion, yeah. Yeah, it does. It like sometimes I, I remember like... My boyfriend had made me pancakes, gluten-free pancakes, which are pretty easy to go down. And I was just looking at them, in my plate, like, what are these? These could be made of plastic. It didn't have any inkling to, like, eat the food. And I remember just trying to get really intentional about eating. So what I learned was to build an experience that was really nice around eating. So. Like, let's say with those pancakes, I would sit down, I would put on soothing music. No, literally, like, I'd have, like, a romantic dinner with my pancakes, like, Aww. me and my pancakes. Like, me and the cakes would just be sitting <laughs> with candlelight. Baby cakes and you. <laughs> oh, little baby and <laughs> Then i shove him down. I'm like, can i going to eat you, baby cakes. But you're in my tummy now. <laughs> we're, we're together Mushy forever. Cakes now. <laughs> but I would put on, like, a nice candle and, like, soft lighting. Or maybe I would sit outside on the balcony with the fresh air but I would slow down my life. And when I went to eat, I would be with the food. I wouldn't be thinking about all the things I have to do. I wouldn't be trying to eat, walking to work, or like standing at the counter, like, hurry, hurry, I have to shove it down because I have to get somewhere else. I became very intentional and mindful about eating. I decided that since eating oftentimes, most times, made me not feel good, I wanted to eat what counted. Right. Like I didn't want to waste my meals, waste my flares on eating a bag of Cheetos, for example. It's like, sure, maybe that's enjoyable for a few minutes, but in the end, I'm going to feel horrible. I'm not going to be nourished. It's not actually going to help my body. So when I ate, I ate things that I knew would be really satisfying to my body that would actually give my body energy. And that helped because then I actually didn't have to eat as often as when you eat ultra
1: processed foods. You're hungrier, quicker.
0: Well, yeah, that's why they're called empty calories. Like Mm -hmm. when you eat a bag of chips, like sure, you feel full for like 30 minutes or one hour or something, but then you start to feel sick to your stomach. You maybe feel like a little bit nauseous. Your stomach kind of like drops. You're like, oh, my God, I'm really hungry. Like you have to eat again soon after because you actually didn't get any
1: nutrients in the food. You filled your stomach, but you didn't feel. There's nothing sustaining you. We need all the nutrients we can get (laughs) in our limited, short, small meals. (laughs)
0: I tried to really stop looking at food as my enemy and instead to see it as my partner in feeling better, my partner in healing, my partner in nourishing myself. For years when I ate, I was concerned with the flare that food would bring. That was my biggest concern. Eating was all about, how can I prevent a flare? But those aren't my thoughts anymore around eating. And now when I eat, I ask myself instead, what can I eat? that will help me feel my best. And yes, it is true that even with nutrient-dense foods, I often feel sick. And that's because I have a huge number of digestive issues due to endometriosis, due to SIBO, due to histamine intolerance, due to mast cell. There's a lot going on in my body. And there's a lot of reasons why I feel pain and I have diarrhea and I have digestive upset. But something that I realized is that with nutritious foods, even though I often got pain and diarrhea afterwards, they really did give me more energy than if I ate something less nutritious. Having cooked vegetables, for example, never raw vegetables because, oh my gosh, raw vegetables give me such terrible bloating and gas. So having cooked vegetables, that gives me way more energy than having pizza or pasta did, for example. Things like nuts and protein help me feel fuller for much longer than ultra-processed foods ever did. I've stopped asking myself, okay, which food is the lesser evil? And I've started to ask myself, okay, which food is the best choice for me? So there's been a lot of reframing my language around food and the way that I think of my food so then i would cut my food up into small bites with a knife and then i would start eating and i would just eat slowly calmly and when thoughts came in my mind about no and this is scary and the fear and i would just acknowledge that i felt nervous right now i felt scared i felt nervous that this food was gonna make me have a flare but if i had a flare it would be okay Maybe I would get sick on the toilet. Maybe I would get fatigue. Maybe I would get some pain. But then the flare would end. I feel like the real breakthrough just came with all the work that I was doing to be more neutral when having a flare for endometriosis. The really difficult task of trying to accept the fact that my body's going to have flares, my body's going to have pain, and it sucks, and I don't want it to do that but in the end it is going to do that. And so arguing with reality and like fighting against reality and like trying to not eat to not have a flare, it's like I have to eat. And so I'm going to have a flare and maybe I can learn to be okay with that. And so I think that was the thing, like with the histamine that you're mentioning, like, yeah, food was causing me really bad flares. And at the beginning it was all foods because histamine is in all foods. And this time around, I wasn't I didn't have this psychological distress and this like emotional turmoil around eating. I just recognized okay, when I eat my breakfast this morning, I'm going to have a flare, a histamine flare. That is going to happen. Like it or not, that is what's going to happen. So, do I want to add to the flare by being so scared when I eat and being nervous and having anxiety? I don't want to add to all the physical. Horribleness that I'm gonna feel when I finish my breakfast, especially because stress can exacerbate flares and hinder digestion. Fear can intensify the sensation of pain because we tense up our bodies. And I've seen this over and over again in myself and with my own pain. I found that having these strong emotions can worsen the way that I feel physically. So then, not only does my food make me sick. But my reaction to the food also makes me sick. And getting sick because of eating is something that is going to happen because I have these health problems and food has a chemical reaction when it enters into our bodies. And we can't change that. But building up all the emotions around eating and therefore making myself sicker when I eat, that doesn't have to happen. It was really hard for me to understand this concept when I first started learning about it. But the more that I just practiced being neutral, feeling my feelings when my feelings came, and saying, It's okay that I'm nervous right now. It's okay that I'm afraid. It's okay if I get a flare. And just like being neutral and being mindful of the emotions that I was feeling and not ignoring them, I think that was really key to working past the fear that i felt around eating because i think ultimately the fear that i felt around eating it wasn't around eating i thought the fear was around the food in front of me but it turns out the fear that i had it was fear of the flares so when i really began to focus on learning to be okay with having flares and that's really hard to do because some flares are really uncomfortable some flares are downright unpleasant Some flares will have you rushing to the toilet in the middle of your work meeting, for example. Some flares are embarrassing. Maybe you have urinary incontinence in front of your friends, for example. Some flares are so, so scary. And they'll have you on the ground thrashing and moaning and sobbing and clutching your back or your front in a horrific amount of pain. And so it is not to say lightly like, Oh, just put your fingers together and just embrace your flares. So this isn't to minimize the kind of flares that we can have with endometriosis because some of my flares were terrifying. And I understand why I was terrified to have a flare, but I had to work on my relationship with my endometriosis and with my endometriosis flares. And in working on that, it helped me work on my relationship with food because food just became like the focus point when really the fear was about the flares that were triggered by food. The fear was about the flares, not about the food in itself. The food is neutral. The food is not good. It's not bad. The food is just food. Understanding that really took the pressure off of me. Because for all of those years, when I looked at food from the focus of preventing a flare, that added in layers of disappointment in myself, of guilt, of shame to my eating experience. If I didn't prevent a flare, then I felt like I was failing myself. I felt like I was failing at taking care of myself. But flares will happen. Even with what's considered a quote-unquote healthy diet, even with foods that are nutrient-dense, even with meals that I make from scratch. Accepting that as my reality took the pressure off of me to be perfect. I don't need to be perfect, which I can't be anyways. I just need to do my best in my food choices and be proud of myself for that.
1: I think something that I realized when I have experienced food creating a body response in me that is less than pleasant is that my natural reaction is to be scared of, I don't want that to happen again. So I have to do everything I can to prevent that from happening again. But the reality is, is that it probably will happen again. Flares will happen side-splitting, gut-wrenching diarrhea will happen, (laughs) whether I want it to or not. So for me, something that I also put in place was trying to be very careful around how my anxiety spiked when I thought I was going to experience a flare. So my most recent period, I was having extra horrible diarrhea, super fun. It was the kind where it would wake me up at 3 a.m. and I would run to the bathroom and have horrible cramps and knives and feel like I was going to vomit. And it was horrible, horrible diarrhea. And so I tried to figure out, is this a food? Like, what's happening to me? What's going on? No, it was just me, period. <laughs> Yay. But I was so scared and I didn't want to eat anything because I didn't want to have diarrhea. That was horrible, horrible diarrhea. But you have to eat. Like Amy said, you can't not eat, and it's not healthy to not eat. So I decided that I was going to eat, and I didn't know when it was going to cause me to have this crippling pain or when it wasn't. So I had to stop being worried about what it could or couldn't do to me. Because when I ate something and then got worried about, is it going to be this meal that made me have the crippling pain? If it did come that time, My anxiety would be so high that I would be so much worse through the whole experience because I would be nervous and my heart would be pounding and I would be sweaty and dizzy and scared. And with that fear came a body reaction that made the experience and the actual diarrhea itself so much worse because our bodies react to the stress we feel. Our bodies react to the anxiety we feel. They call it a placebo effect for a reason because it actually does something to us on a mental and biological level to anticipate something that's happening or think that something we've taken has an effect on our body. So I had to slowly work towards the neutrality and saying, this may make me sick, this may not. We'll find out when we get there. And when we get there, then we'll deal with it. And I found that while the pain was still extreme, I was able to approach it with more of the neutrality, just this will pass, it will be over, it will be okay, and without the heightened anxiety, I recovered a lot faster, which was really nice, and I also didn't feel so much fear around when it actually happened in the moment because I wasn't anticipating it, I wasn't leading up to it, my body wasn't experiencing stress, so overall it made it feel better even though it still happened. When we're experiencing physical pain like with a flare, migraines, or dizziness, or fatigue, or crippling diarrhea, or gut-wrenching pain. All of those things can elicit a psychological response in us. So while we also have to deal with the physical, we too have to remember the psychological component. And if we ignore the psychological component, passing thoughts can turn into thought patterns. And saying, oh, that scares me, can turn into, I'm scared of all food. So, these things can evolve because we have to address the thoughts that pass into our mind to prevent them from becoming how we think and prevent them from causing more psychological distress in us. So, for me, I do a lot of self talk because I do suffer from anxiety disorder. So, a lot of times I'm telling myself, this is not how it really is right now. You're just experiencing nervousness, you're just experiencing anxiety. This is the situation that's really happening. Here's the reality. And I have to tell myself a lot of things. I have to talk to myself because I have to acknowledge the thoughts that I'm actually experiencing and deal with them. Otherwise, they can turn into fears around food, fears around certain locations, fears around events like holidays or birthdays. Having that anxiety around those things can make the physical experience so much worse. So while we of course, have to deal with the physical and deal with treatment options and figuring out what to do with endometriosis itself. We can't ignore the psychological effects that such a debilitating disease can have on us. So it's both sides.
0: I really like what you said about the self-talk. I think that was a key element for myself as well. If we're able to become more aware of the thought patterns that we have around food, when I would get in front of a plate of food, I would be thinking, this is going to make me sick. This is going to make me sick. Oh my God, this is going to make me sick. I don't want to eat this. This looks disgusting. Oh, I can't believe I have to eat this. Why do I have to eat? This is just, I wish I didn't have to eat anything. I'm so hungry, but I don't want to eat anything, but this is going to make me sick. And it was just became this overwhelming mess of ruminating thoughts. It was just all about basically the doom that I was going to suffer if I ate the plate of food in front of me. And okay, let's face it, probably I was going to endure some kind of impending doom from eating that because I have endometriosis. And at the time of my 20s, it was triggered by so many foods. But learning to change the narrative around food and to say, wow, this food, it looks so nourishing. I'm excited to put it into my body. I'm excited to get
1: energy from it. This food is keeping me alive. This food looks so tasty. I'm excited to eat this. I'm grateful to have this meal in front of me when so many are going hungry. Also, getting more in touch
0: with where my food came from. If you've ever just had a little plants garden, like a little herb garden, or had some basil in a pot, or some lemongrass, or gone out and see where your food comes from, like it's really fascinating you plant seeds, and then the sun and the water makes these seeds into a plant that nourishes you. So really, when you eat plants, you're kind of eating sunlight.
1: Do I love veggies. <laughs> Sunshine in my mouth.
0: <laughs> I just tried to get more of a connection with my food and just
1: realized food is good. That's why we needed to live. Thank you, delicious, wonderful food, for keeping my body going. And building all the new cells and giving me energy and keeping me strong. And also
0: getting in touch with preparing my food, cooking my food. When I would slice a tomato and I would look at the tomato and be like, oh, this tomato is so firm and yet slices so easily and it's so red and it's so juicy. Oh, beautiful tomato. I want to go for long walks on the beach (laughs) with this tomato. (laughs)
1: The first thing that got me trying to love food more was herbs. I know you mentioned an herb garden, but I love herbs and I'm Italian and we use a lot of herbs (laughs) and learning to be really excited about adding an herb to something, the smell of basil, the crunch of lemongrass or how green and vibrant cilantro is, that was so exciting and was such a strong smell reaction that at first I was really had an aversion to because herbs smell quite strongly. But I grew to love the smell and I grew to be excited to put them on. She started on rubbing
0: herbs all over her body. She'd go the to smell, work. It I should, smell like basil. Be like, why does Britney smell like lemongrass?
1: You'd kinda of lift your armpit up.
0: They'd be like, oh, is that rosemary? <laughs> yes, it is.
1: Well, now herbal smells are actually my favorite. Like out of anything, when I pick a scent, it's always herbal. So I actually kind of grew a love for it. And going and adding herbs to something became this small little special thing that I could do to get me excited for food. And it didn't happen at first. Like this positive self-talk around, oh, I'm so excited to eat or I can't wait to eat. You're gonna be lying to yourself at the
0: beginning and that's okay. Oh, for sure. Like I'd be <laughs> sitting there looking at the block of pancakes, look like a piece of cement. It's like concrete yeah. cakes. Your mouth is dry as chalk. You're just like looking at it like, okay, I have I to can't eat you. I can't believe it. And then you start the lies, like, oh, you look so delicious. And then you'd be chewing, you'd be like, mm, this is yummy. Chew, <laughs> chew, chew. Okay, count to 20. One, two, this is yummy. This is yummy. This is yummy. Swallow that the next bite.
1: At first, you're lying to yourself because you don't feel like it's yummy. You don't feel like it's good. You feel like it's hard. But over time, those, you convince yourself yeah those thoughts become patterns because just food, the
0: same way you convinced yourself you were afraid of food exactly none of us were
1: born afraid of food right mm-hmm. like
0: well, it didn't come out of my i'm born yeah and you come out of the my fear is womb. food <laughs> you're like here drink this breast mug like oh no. <laughs> god don't ever make me put any food in my mouth <laughs> food is so scary and disgusting it's gonna make me si- no you're just like ooh, i want to try everything
1: I want all the food in my mouth once. It's broccoli or peas. Like, don't
0: give me that <laughs> until I'm at least 20 because I'm not going to have any not appreciation for that
1: taste. Well, we may have been born with endometriosis. We were not born with a fear of food. <laughs> so, yeah, those thoughts became thought patterns. And the positive thoughts can also become thought patterns. And that food will become delicious. You will become excited to eat it and to cook it, but and at to spend first.
0: time with it, and to go on romantic getaways <laughs> dates with it, and go to the movies with it. You and your basil plants at the oh, movies. I love my basil. And they're plant. like, um, that basil plant's kind of big. We're gonna
1: have to charge you the child. <laughs> That's a basil bush that. at this point. <laughs> <laughs> That's a basil boy. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, this is his name's Basil. Leave him alone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you start to condition yourself to love food. And then you find yourself eating, like, rubber
1: bands and, oh, like, wow. small pennies. <laughs> now we've gone too far. Reel it back knickknacks. In. And you're like, God, this self-talk conditioning really works. I like, got to reel it back in a little bit. This is over. so <laughs> nourishing. Eat a rubber band. Ooh. This copper penny so tasty. God, this book is so good. I could just eat a page from it. And I will.
0: Please don't do that. I don't think- do that. You don't
1: need to go that far. Your positive self-talk stops at edible food. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it just becomes a pattern. And over time, you really will come to believe it because it is true. It is true that food is nourishing for you. It is true that we need food to live. But food doesn't just serve the purpose of living. It can also taste good. It can also be exciting. It can also be something to look forward to. So creating these rituals around it, creating more positive self-talk around it can help us to move from the fear into the neutral or even the good place.
0: Something else that may help our fear around food is loosening up our restrictions on food.
1: Wait, wait, wait. That sounds entirely counterproductive. Please explain. Well, hear me out, Brittany. Gosh. Okay, okay, okay,
0: okay. You're always so doubtful of everything that I say.
1: <laughs> You've sown a seed of doubt in me. Sounds so contrary. Don't you Need trust me by now? Yes, I do.
0: Okay, Brittany, I understand the reason why many of us fear food is because it makes us so sick. So when we deliberately eat something that makes us feel sick, it seems like a terrible idea, right? Yes. Yes, and mm, no. What? (laughs) Okay, now I'm really confused. (laughs) All right, so let's say that there's a food that we love, that we absolutely love, and we know that it makes us sick. For example, I love green tea. So I mentioned before I lived in Japan. I lived in Japan for four years, and I drank green tea. All the time when I lived in Japan. I drank sencha and matcha and bancha and hojicha and konacha.
1: Jeez, how many chas did you drink? <laughs> Brittany,
0: <laughs> the suffix cha means tea. You get it like sencha. Well,
1: how would I know that? I don't speak Japanese. <laughs> Stop doubting me. Trust. Okay, so many Trust. chas, okay. which technically I used properly. I asked you how many chas you that drank. Was it really would be good. properly because it that means That was tea, really good. So. so my
0: favorite is sencha and then I really like matcha, but it's hard to sleep when you drink matcha because... It leaves you very wired. Ooh. But anyway, the point is that I love tea. And I love the taste. And it just feels so nostalgic for me when I drink it. It reminds me of living in Japan and a life that I no longer have. When I changed my diet to manage my endosymptoms, I didn't have to cut out green tea. But as I embarked on my histamine journey, every food made me sick because all the foods have histamine. Thank you. And I hate you. I had to cut out all the high histamine foods and the foods that release histamine, and I ended up having to cut out green tea.
1: No. And it was so horrible.
0: And it was horrible because one, it's a drink that has health benefits, but two, it's just it tastes really good. It was part of my morning routine that gave me meaning, and it also meant something to me. It was nostalgic from living in Japan, and when I would drink it, I would drink it from a Japanese cup that I brought back from Japan, and it's just it's just a very like beautiful ritual, and I had to give that up. So what I decided to do, are you ready? I am.
1: (laughs) I'm listening with bated breath (laughs) for the story of the cha.
0: So I would make a cup of sencha, a cup of green tea, and then I would have three sips. Wow. That I drank so slowly. Living on the edge. And I would hold the cup with both hands and I would slowly bring it to my mouth and it was still hot. And I would just feel it on my lips and I would have, no joke, just three sips because if I had more then the histamine would react, then I might have anaphylaxis, and then, you know, I could die. So not worth it in that. Yeah, it was not (laughs) worth it. But I also really just didn't want to exclude it from my diet. So I just went down to having it in moderation. And I think often we hear about, yes, it's fine to have a piece of cake or a cookie in moderation. And moderation can be different for different people. Like maybe for a person that doesn't have chronic health problems, having cookies in moderation is having a cookie twice a week. But maybe for us, if we know that having a cookie gives us a flare, maybe we only have half of a cookie every two weeks or we have a bite of a cookie once a week or one cookie per month. So I think there are ways that we can continue to enjoy the foods that we love. Maybe not all of the foods. Maybe you have to pick and choose our battles. Like, I also really love tomatoes, but I decided to cut them out because they're really high in histamine. And they didn't give me the same enjoyment that having my three sips of green tea gave. So I had to pick and choose the food battles.
1: Food wars. Yeah. It's like a food fight, but more violent if you get anaphylaxis.
0: <laughs> my point is that sometimes we can get really obsessive about food. And I felt really obsessive about my tea. I was thinking about the tea, about how I wanted to drink the tea. I was feeling sad in the mornings. I was like, you know what? I don't want to feel deprived. And so I can have my green tea in moderation, moderation to the 10th power, the super moderation of three sips of green tea.
1: What I really like about what you just said is that I I just said it. Yes, that you just said it. But the idea that eating should be mindfully done and the practicing mindfulness when you're eating and I know that I do this with one of my favorite foods, which is ice cream. But ice cream and I don't get along. We're not friends. So I made a deal with ice cream that if I have one bite of ice cream, then we're okay. We're frenemies and it's going to be okay. So when I have my one bite of ice cream, it's a very slow one bite and I make sure I Observe it, and I smell it. Yes, I sniff the ice cream.
0: <laughs> you and just have a spoon of ice cream. You just sip. It p-
1: melts before I can get well, it in my mouth. It, it needs to be a little bit melted. <laughs> yeah, right?
0: you can't just put it right in from the it's freezer not as because enjoyable. it's too cold. Yes, right. So then you're just kind of when wasting it's your just one bite.
1: softened just
0: enough. You're just holding the spoon, staring at it, <laughs> it waiting. for three minutes. <laughs> You Use your pinky. You poke like two little eye holes in a smiley. I'm You're going down me. the hatch soon, baby. It's
1: like, it's like you've been watching me eat my ice cream. So yeah, that's what I do. And then I really like savor that bite. I taste every single tiny molecule of that ice cream. And that's kind of what I do in order to not have ice cream affect me negatively. And my husband laughs at me because he says things like, oh, your ice cream's still in there. It's going to last until the apocalypse. Well, during the apocalypse, I'll have ice cream. <laughs> Nobody what else will. Y- well, <laughs> will you
0: have? You'll just have zombies chasing you, okay? But I'll be eating ice cream while zombies chase me.
1: My ice cream will last <laughs> till the end of time. So I don't care. I will have it forever. So it's a running joke, but that helps me to incorporate ice cream because ice cream is one of my favorite foods and it allows me to have it in a safe moderation for my body
0: it can be really freeing to include a certain food or a couple of foods that we love in our life, as long as we know our limits. Like, I know my limit with green tea, and Brittany knows her limit with ice cream. And I think that's something that's not taught, at least in our American culture. Like, we're so quick to gulp our food down without even tasting it, you know?
1: We're all so busy, we got to just get it down the hatch.
0: Yeah, we're eating it while we're watching TV or while we're working. And we're not sitting and we're not actually smelling our food, feeling the taste, feeling the texture, chewing it our 50 times to help our digestion. It'd be kind of hard to chew your ice cream 50 times. We yeah. just let it melt all over your mouth. <laughs> I drink like. my
1: ice cream. Exactly, right?
0: <laughs> but oftentimes, if we slow down when we're eating, we'll see that we don't need as many bites of the food to be satisfied. Because in the end, if we want to eat A food that is still making us sick, we're often doing it because we love the flavor. We like the experience of eating it. Like, we're not choking down broccoli when broccoli makes us sick because we really want to get the benefits of cruciferous vegetables. Like, there are (laughs) other vegetables we could eat that could give us benefits, right? So, when we choose to eat something that we know could cause us a flare, it's because we really like that specific food. So, if we can be with our food when we eat it, maybe those three spoonfuls of that spicy, hot and sour Chinese soup, or maybe, oh, oh God, I want it right now. <laughs>
1: ooh, or a quarter portion of pad thai instead of the whole thing. Oh, pad thai. <laughs> <laughs> or half of a meatball. We can learn to
0: have enjoyment with less. And I think that can help us to be less stressed,
1: less anxious, and less nervous around our food. And to be clear, we're not advising that you under eat. We're referring –
0: Yeah, we're not saying like, okay, for breakfast, only have three sips of green tea. <laughs> don't do that and to yourself. And for lunch, have a quarter portion of pad thai. And for dinner, have half a meatball. And then – Don't
1: your, trust our, that's our tips your, on eating. That's your calorie intake for the <laughs> that's, day. That's not a good no, idea.
0: We're talking about your trigger foods, the ones that you've cut out of your diet because they make you sick. But you really crave them and you really want to have them.
1: And this works really well for a lot of people. Because rather than denying the food outright and completely, and that could cause you to have more of it than you may want later, which could cause a flare, this way allows you to not be over-obsessed with it and still enjoy that experience of eating that food, but in a way that will potentially give you less of a risk of a flare. And if
0: we decide mindfully and intentionally to eat a couple of bites of a food that makes us sick, or even to eat the entire plate, and it ends up making us sick. It is really important. It is absolutely vital to know that it is not our fault. We have endometriosis—the <laughs> ugly truth—and <laughs> because of that, we have inflammation, or endo on the bowel. <laughs> Sorry, I have to do it. Everyone, I think <laughs>
1: they're all horrible. so yeah. cry about every single one.
0: Or we have endo in our pelvis. <laughs> All of our digestive organs are packed into our pelvis, which is primarily for many of us where endometriosis is. So it's just like a double whammy of badness. And so with endo, we more easily have digestive problems and food sensitivities than a person who doesn't have endometriosis. I curse them. I curse those curse who you. don't have endometriosis Curses. and they don't have food sensitivities. We're very and don't happy have for them, but and also I'm, curse them. Curse them. <laughs> <laughs> I am really happy for them. Do they know how good they have it
1: or do they take it for granted? And flares will come. No. It's not our fault. We don't have to get angry at ourselves. In fact, you shouldn't. You should not be angry at yourself. You should not be disappointed in yourself. You should absolutely never blame yourself or feel guilty. Oh, my God. So you're saying I've been doing it all wrong for so many years. You're absolved from all of that. (laughs)
0: Because the guilt. That I've had around food and the anger that I've had at myself has been intense. So I need to stop that.
1: And it's understandable why. But yes, you do. Because it has nothing to do with you, why flares happen. It has 100% to do with your endometriosis. Why do
0: I always make everything so personal about me?
1: Because we're humans. <laughs> oh, it's not even about me. It's about my endometriosis. Yeah. It's about Red Dragon. And Red Dragon is not you. He's so narcissistic. He's obsessed yeah. with himself.
0: He's like, everything is always about me, Amy, and not <laughs> about you. I'm like, okay, yeah. He
1: makes sure you remember it too. <laughs> One of the best ways to start absolving yourself of all of that burden of guilt or blame or anger is to change your self-talk and check when you're judging yourself. Ooh. Check if you have some self-loathing going on. I do. I really do. Well, if you can recognize that, that's one of the first steps to changing your relationship with your food.
0: Yeah, I do have really bad self talk when it comes to everything, especially when it comes to my food. And now that you're talking and I'm thinking about this, I'm wondering if my fear of food has also been a subconscious fear of letting myself
1: down. So, why would food? be something that you would think would be a way that you've let yourself down? Well, if I know the
0: food makes me sick, and then I go ahead and I eat it, it just sometimes I feel disappointed with myself, like, oh, I did something that would, quote-unquote, deliberately cause me a flare. So why aren't I taking better care of myself? Or why didn't I have control? Or why wasn't I more responsible?
1: Well, I have two pieces of truth for you. One is a question, and you're going to answer with the truth. Have you ever eaten everything that was 100% endo-approved and still had a flare? Yeah, pretty much every single yeah. day. so there's your first truth. Okay. That even if you are being what you perceive as responsible with your food choices, a flare is still possible. And here's the second truth. Because endometriosis and flares are uncontrollable. You can't control them. Endo doesn't want to be controlled. No, Endo is red. an independent dragon. You try to put the reins on red dragon the way <laughs> you not would on a happen. horse. And it just rears. bucks it, you off. And you fares. think Mushu lets me just ride on his back? That's not going to happen. <laughs> like, let me ride on your back. I want to go win an archery contest. Not going to happen.
0: <laughs> well, I've really been learning that recently that there is a fine line between watching what I eat in order to take care of myself And to have the best health that I can, and then on the opposite side of the line, is putting an extreme amount of pressure on myself to control my flares. I think it's healthy to take responsibility for my health and to watch what I eat. It's good for my endo. It's good for my overall health. It's a good way to be responsible to my body and to my illness. But it's not healthy To blame myself for my illness when I get a flare, when I eat. Be it that I ate something, quote unquote, endo approved, like I ate a salad that was healthy for my body and supposedly anti inflammatory and supposedly not my trigger, or be it that I ate a jelly filled powdered donut. But no matter what I eat, I have endometriosis, and that's not my fault. And I don't have to be perfect at my diet. It's not healthy to be obsessive. It's not healthy to put pressure on myself to be perfect, because I can't be perfect. I mean, I'm pretty close to
1: perfect. (laughs) But it's physically impossible, (laughs) no matter how hard you try,
0: Amy. What it is healthy to do is to eat mindfully. So if I choose to eat things that I know will cause me a flare, because that's what I want to do mindfully and make a choice to intentionally eat that and enjoy that, Then that's okay. And I can do that. And I can savor the food and I can enjoy it. But if I get a flare afterward, it's not healthy to blame myself for having gotten a flare. I wanna talk for a minute about feeling deprived around food. So, as we all know, food tastes good and food is pleasure and food is celebration and food is enjoyable. And that's why giving up certain foods can be so hard. And we're gonna talk about that more in part two which is going to air in the next episode. But for now, I just want to say that oftentimes, when we cut out our trigger foods, we feel deprived, we feel restricted and sad. And that often leads to negative feelings, to anger, to frustration around food. But something that is really helpful is looking for what we can add back in. I can say to myself, okay, I cut out sugar and gluten and dairy and all grains and a lot more, but I can add back in gluten-free pancakes that I make from scratch using almond flour and they taste just as delicious and they're better for me. I can look for new tastes via spices. Like I learned how to make an Indian dish that was baked apples to replace an apple pie dish from my mom that I really loved. And it was basically baking apples in the oven with Indian spices instead of sugar. And it was incredible. Like the taste is incredible. It's like, wow, it became instantly my new favorite dish. And I never would have found it if I hadn't been experimenting with new flavors because of the old flavors that I had to let go of. I've learned to make my own ice cream with mango and coconut cream. Finding substitutions and new flavors has opened up a whole new world for me to eat nutrient-dense food that gives me energy, that is delicious, and less likely to give me a flair than what I was eating previously. But alas, I was doing really, really well on my food journey when I got diagnosed with mast cell activation syndrome last year and histamine intolerance which basically crumbled my world. And I've talked about that before, but suddenly once more, every single food, and I do mean every single food, just the process of eating, (laughs) gave me a reaction. And last year I was in a continuous reaction for over a year, which I've crawled my way back from, which has been really, really difficult. And so I've had to cut out nuts and coconut and Indian spices, and so many of the foods that I've grown to love, foods that I found after I cut out other foods 14 years ago when I switched my diet to eat better for me, for endo. And so now with the reductions because of the histamine and the mast cell, to be honest, what I can eat has reduced considerably. And I am working towards getting back. In some of the high histamine foods, I want to get some of those, well, as many of those foods back as I can, but the process is slow. And, you know, I went through the feelings again, the feelings of deprivation, the feelings of anger feelings that I went through, that I worked through, that I processed through when I first changed my diet 14 years ago. And I spent several years, probably a decade processing through those feelings and coming to a place of peace and acceptance with my diet. And then last year, I was just thrown back into the anger and frustration and deprivation and restriction and limitations. And it was really, really hard. It was really hard. So if you're going through that first, just please know that Brittany and I have been there and we understand and it is so, so hard. And so you're not alone in the way that you feel and the way that you feel is perfectly normal and natural and valid feelings when we change our diets. These are very natural feelings to have. So something that I've really been working on over the past year is adding in activities that bring me pleasure many of us find pleasure in food. Food tastes good. We have foods that we love. We have foods that comfort us. And we're going to talk about that more in the second half of this episode next week. But at this point with the mast cell activation syndrome, I honestly, I just want to eat to be nourished. And if it's tasty, that's great. But at this point, I feel like I don't have to love my food. I just have to eat and I want to have a positive experience, not a negative one, not dreading eating, not disliking eating. But I also don't have to be like, oh, this is the best food ever and look forward to my food. I just want to calmly and mindfully eat and nourish myself and then go on with my day. I just want eating to be another thing I do in my day, just the way I brush my teeth and I make my bed and I poop and I eat. That's what I want eating to be for me at this point. So I'm working on adding in activities that provide me with joy. So for example, this year I published my book, small plug here, but this is a true story. That's why I bring it up. I published my book called Finding Peace with a Devastating Disease. It's available on Amazon. The link is in my website and also my Instagram bio. And so the day that my book was published and I announced it on Instagram, I really, really wanted to celebrate. I felt really happy. I was elated. My book published. I really, really wanted to celebrate. And the way I wanted to celebrate was I really wanted to drink champagne and eat some decadent chocolate cake with raspberries. Now, if I did that, I would probably have anaphylaxis, no joke, because of the mast cell issues. And I would have insomnia and my heart would race for 24 hours and I would probably get really dizzy and I would break out in hives on my face near my eyes. Yes, that's where I get my hives. It's fascinating and horrifying and definitely not enjoyable. So since none of that sounded really fun to me and it was supposed to be a day of celebrating and not a day of injecting myself with an EpiPen and then have my boyfriend drive me to the hospital, I passed up my celebration with my champagne and decadent chocolate cake and raspberries. And I'll be honest, for a minute, I felt sad and sorry for myself and sad that I just couldn't have a small celebration with food with my partner after achieving something that I've been working towards for two years and finally getting my book published. And so I said to myself, okay, it's okay. It's okay that you feel sad. These mast cell problems, they suck really bad. Endometriosis sucks really bad. SIBO sucks really bad. It sucks. It's horrible. It's terrible, honestly. But today is a happy day. Today is a wonderful day. It's a happy day because you published your book. By the way, I was in a terrible flare that day because excitement is also a huge trigger for mast cells. So I was really excited about announcing my book on Instagram and it was in a huge reactive flare. So that was also really fun. Not really. But I asked myself, what can I do to feel happy today and to celebrate? And my boyfriend and I talked about it and we decided to go for a bike ride around our neighborhood. So we just pedaled around. And every time we saw someone outside walking the sidewalk, we screamed, I'm a published author. And he screamed, She's a published author. <laughs> And it was really silly and it was really fun. It was fun, you know? And so we got outside and we were out in the green space and we just had an afternoon that was really lovely. And it didn't matter anymore that I didn't have my champagne and my chocolate cake because I got to celebrate anyway. So a big part for me right now, what I'm currently working on right now actively to improve my relationship with food is adding in joy to my life that doesn't involve food so that I don't need food, quote unquote, need food to celebrate or to reward myself or to pamper myself. And, you know, I just want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with eating to have a celebration. Nothing is wrong with that at all. And if I could have done that without Potentially having anaphylaxis, I definitely would have done that on the day my book was published. But since I can't right now, it's just too risky to eat anything that will give me a flare. I am looking for ways to fill this void, to fill the deprivation that I feel at times because I can't enjoy the foods that I love. I'm looking for ways to fill that with activities that make me feel fulfilled and that give me joy. And we're going to talk more about that in
1: part two next week. So the final thing that we wanted to mention is that your body's relationship with food can actually change over time. So there's hope after all.
0: (laughs) One day I will get my powdered jelly donut. That's what you want. (laughs) I will watch the white powder burst off in the air. I'll be like, oh, my God, a snowfall in July. (laughs) Maybe I, I can work my way up to the jelly donut. I can start with like a munchkin, one of those mini donuts with the hole in them. Oh, you know
1: what I'd like is a Boston cream donut.
0: Ooh, I was never. That in, reminds me of home. I was never <laughs> into cream. But hmm. I really would like a cinnamon donut. Ooh. With apple in the cinnamon. middle.
1: Ooh. Ooh
0: yeah. <laughs> All right, Brittany and I will right, I'm a little... gonna go off and
1: bake that. I'm gonna figure out we're how to get a recipe. Pause. <laughs> pause. We're gonna go eat
0: a cinnamon powdered donut with apple jelly in the middle, and then we're gonna come back with the worst brain fog. And
1: we're gonna sound like this for the rest of the episode. Oh yeah, Brittany. Uh. What are we talking about? I don't
0: remember. <laughs> what am I doing in
1: this box? Am I wearing pants? <laughs> no, we're never wearing pants. <laughs> So when I say that your body's relationship with food can change over time, I mean, it not only can change throughout the month, so meaning you might find that food sensitivity is higher towards all foods or certain foods during a specific time of your cycle because of the hormonal change that happens during that cycle. Oh, oh, I just want to point out that at first I couldn't eat any foods that were high
0: histamine, but now that I've been working with my doctor and I've been helping my gut health and I've been helping my hormone levels, I am indeed able to eat some foods that are high in histamine on the second half of my cycle because the histamine has to do with my estrogen. So when the progesterone is higher, then I can tolerate more high histamine foods. So in the first half of my cycle, I cannot eat any high histamine foods, so I have to be nothing. But in the second half after I ovulate, I'm like, ooh, like 10 sips of green tea, not three. Wow. Wow. She's going wild. Live on the edge, baby. <laughs> so that is true. Well, it's, it's really depending real. where you are in your cycle.
1: Your hormones can affect the way your body reacts to food. So if you're experiencing that, it's totally valid. Amy and I actually once had a conversation where she said, the closer I get to my cycle, I can't eat hard-boiled eggs. And I said, wait, really? Me neither. They make my stomach super upset and I feel so ill when I eat hard-boiled eggs like five days before my period. But every other time of the month I can eat them. But if you eat them five days after your period, oh, you digest them perfect. Yes. so we came to this realization that we both have the same sensitivity to hard-boiled eggs, not all, just hard-boiled eggs, when our cycle is approaching. So our bodies can really react with the change of hormones because that affects so many other systems and processes in our bodies. Well, and your hormones are not just what's considered your
0: sex hormones, like your estrogen, your testosterone, and your progesterone, but there's also leptin and ghrelin and cortisol and oxytocin. You have so many other hormones in your body that can
1: affect your digestion and affect how you feel when you eat. And while that relationship with your body can change throughout the month, it also can change over time in terms of over the months or years as well. So some years ago, I really struggled with just about every food that I ate. Why, Brittany, what'd they do to you? (laughs) They made me very, very sick. (laughs) In all manners of the version of sick, pain and digestion issues and the lovely ever-present diarrhea. What about heartburn? Oh, yes, absolutely. Heartburn was my best friend. (laughs) I was struggling a lot with almost all food, and I didn't know how to get it under control. I didn't know what to do, and I was having a lot of fear and aversion to food. But as I started to address some of the other things surrounding my health, because I felt like nothing I was doing to the food was really fixing it, so I started to address other things like my sleep cycle. I started working on controlling my anxiety and managing my stress, which did a big improvement. And I also worked around getting more movement and just being more cognizant of the types of food I was eating and the diversity of my food. And as those things actually started to get better, I noticed that things either made me less sick than they used to, or things that were definite no-no's were actually maybes, and things were just getting better with my digestion overall. They went from no-no to so-so to oh-oh. So, you know, not all of them, but a lot of them. (laughs) Not the ice cream. No, that's still a (laughs) Sosa. Yeah. I think that's important
0: to know because it's just important to know that there's always hope. We always want to leave you with the idea that there is hope. That no matter how things are now, there's always the possibility that things can change in the future. And if we're taking steps and we're working on addressing our full body health, then we can see huge changes and it might not be for six months or two years. At some point down the road, we can look back and we can see that we feel a lot better than we did or we can tolerate more foods than we did. Or we can now have a bite of this food that before we couldn't even have one bite of, but now we can have this bite and one bite no longer gives us full body pain fatigue like it used to, for example. I know personally I want to get back Chinese food. One day, you and I will unite Chinese food. Right now, it's a no-no. Waiting for your cumin lamb. It continues to be a (laughs) no-no, as Brittany said, but one day it will become a so-so. I don't think it'll ever be an oh-oh. But that's okay. It doesn't have to be. I think that, you know, there's certain food you're never going to, there's just things you're never going to get back. Some foods will be triggers forever, but maybe not all foods will be triggers forever. I will catch you, China food i will get my one he's coming for you my one bite of cumin lamb my one bite of spicy noodles my one mm. bite of sauteed eggplant with hot and sour sauce i will get you <laughs> so Brittany, we've talked about a lot here and a lot of foods that we now want to go eat exactly i don't know <laughs> if this episode was really good for trying to <laughs> we should go back to the beginning and, and put a warning Please listen to an episode on a full stomach and not right before you go to the grocery store. <laughs> Listening to this episode in the car on your way to the grocery store may, may...
1: cause hunger
0: yeah, and may... unsolicited purchases. <laughs> may result in you purchasing things that later give you endo-flares. But if that happens, don't feel guilty. It's not your fault. Don't judge yourself. Blame the dragon. <laughs> so, Brittany, give us the summary, okay? If we are scared of food, why should we examine our relationship
1: with food? If you feel fear surrounding food, it's important to examine that because food is integral to our lives. We can't live without nourishing our bodies. That's what sustains us. That's what gives us life. But feeling fear around food is a horrible thing to experience. It's horrible to experience fear every time you look at the plate in front of you, fear when you think about the fact that you feel hunger inside of you. That's a horrible thing to experience, and that's not something that we would want anybody to have to deal with. I would
0: say that I did feel pretty miserable in my 20s most of the time,
1: and I was really hungry a lot. I bet. You put off eating as long as possible, and then you'd be super hungry. I think that's why it's important to examine your relationship with food if you feel fear around it, because food is something we have to do three times a day, every single day of our lives. And wouldn't it just be better to experience the flares with neutrality rather than with intense fear? Better to eat a meal with neutrality rather than the intense anxiety? Well, better to welcome the idea of having a meal and
0: to stop thinking about it as something that I have to do, but it rather is something that I want to do.
1: Yes, and that doesn't mean that it's going to make the effects any more fun or the flare any less intense. But that does mean that it can be easier to deal with physically and emotionally if you've approached it mindfully and understanding that food is essential, food is good, food is great for us. It will just help the experience to be less taxing emotionally and physically. Changing my relationship with food so that the
0: relationship was less complicated and my experience when eating food was more enjoyable was one of the biggest gifts that I've ever given myself. It took away that burden on me, that that heavy feeling of being chained to something three times a day that I absolutely hated and that I felt terror towards. It took time to work through my fear. I didn't just open my fridge one morning and look at the food and proclaim, oh,
1: I'm not scared of you anymore. Wow, if that worked, that would be really amazing. Like, walking into a bank and saying i have all your money oh no no
0: <laughs> um there i think you might be arrested yeah i don't think that'd be a good robbery. idea but if you saw a spider and you were like i'm not scared of you anymore and it just worked that would be amazing <laughs> and then it was like okay cool thanks i'll just i'll pay rent and i'll stay in the corner okay <laughs> i'll just walk out the open window <laughs> but we want to leave you with the fact that it was Possible for me to change my relationship with food. And it is possible that things can be different, whether that be with food or whether that be in any aspect of your life. There is always that possibility and that hope that things can be different. And it might take time. Well, it probably will definitely take time. And it will probably take perseverance. And it might take practices like meditating or journaling or talking to a counselor but our relationship with food is one that can change just like any relationship that we have with anything so we want to thank you so much for listening to this episode we hope that you found it relatable we hope we didn't make you too hungry because we're hungry or feel deprived and we talked about chinese food donuts cookies pad thai Mexican food, we didn't mention that, but we should have. Hello, Italian food, French food, Japanese food, sushi. I was just about to say sushi. (laughs) All the different types of
1: my bite of ice cream. Ooh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) peanut butter, Mm. Reese's peanut butter cups. Oh god, I cannot eat any of you anymore. And it's okay, no, Brittany.
1: I have nothing of that in this house (laughs) except for my ice cream that I've had for four months. Mint chocolate chip. Brittany and I are gonna go lick. We're going to lick a spoonful of ice cream. Ice cream. <laughs> okay, so we need to end this.
0: <laughs> but thank you so much for listening. We want to remind you that on our website, we have our resources tab. So if you go to our website in 16years.com, you can find all the different resources that we use to make these episodes, as well as resources on endometriosis. We are on Instagram. We are at in 16 years of endo. And we really hope that you'll connect with us, you reach out to us, you let us know what your green tea is or your spoonful of ice cream.
1: So we can read it and go, oh, that looks so tasty. And I really want to think about it and get it too. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to make that my new spoonful.
0: <laughs> Ooh, green tea ice cream. Oh, yeah. I miss that. Do they sell that here? Probably.
1: Yeah, probably somewhere. I've seen green tea mochi. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. <laughs>
0: Okay. We're off to the store. We need to go. All right. (laughs) Bye everyone. See you later. (laughs) Bye. (laughs)